We're looking forward this evening to Chris continuing his theme. Therefore, what manner of person should we be around the subject of prayer? And as an introduction to that is asked that we take a reading from Luke chapter 11 and verses 5 to 13. And it's my pleasure to ask Brother Tim Powell from Mount Cola to read that for us. Um, and now it's my pleasure to ask Chris to come and address us along the subject of prayer. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Brother Dave. Well, good evening, everyone. It's uh, been a, a full day, uh, our first day, full, for our first full day of, of conference. And uh, you've been to lots of sessions. Hopefully you've had lots of uh, discussions and uh, a very uplifting and, and strengthening day. Uh, we're going to continue. Remember, we're looking at, at parables uh, unique to the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be looking at two tonight, uh, the one that was read for us um, and, and another one uh, in, in chapter 18. And uh, this is the friend at midnight, and the other one is the persistent widow, or the unjust judge. And the, the, the theme we're going to be looking at is prayer as we're trying to develop, uh, you know, what manner of persons we ought to be. And um, if you're like me, then, then prayer life is, is a challenging one. And uh, hopefully we'll glean a few things. We're not going to look at uh, the, all the aspects of prayer, but one in particular that, that comes from, I believe, these two uh, parables. Now, before we get to that, uh, I want to thank you, those that have come and, and uh, given me feedback and comments. It's, it's one of the really uh, real privileges of, of being able to, uh, to address such a large audience and, and uh, have people come and give feedback and input. And I appreciate all of it. Even if you don't agree with some of the things I say, that's okay. And uh, the fact that we're discussing things and, and uh, musing on God's word, I think that's valuable. And uh, one of my goals as a, as a presenter is to, is to, to um, challenge you in some ways and then make you think. And, uh, and I think that's good. And I just wanted to share one with you. If, you. if you turn over to Matthew 26, you remember at the beginning of our, our, our first class this morning, we looked at the, uh, the fact that there are, are records in each of the accounts that, that talk about a woman uh, anointing Jesus. And uh, although we felt the one in Luke was unique, uh, it was earlier in his ministry, and it accompanied, accompanied the parable that we looked at about the two debtors. Uh, nonetheless, it is recorded in all the Gospels, a similar event. And um, it was pointed out to me uh, by someone who came and spoke to me that uh, in, in the, the accounts in, uh, in, in Mark and Matthew, this point is made. And you'll remember it. It's in Matthew 26, and uh, the account begins in verse 6. We're not going to read it all. But it concludes... Uh, you know, because there was some, some strife about the fact, what's the waste of this ointment and, and what's going on here? A, a lot of the, even the disciples, not just Simon the Pharisee, were, were bewildered by what was going on. And, and Jesus said in verse 13 of Matthew 26, Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for memorial of her. So it was appropriate for Luke, although he didn't record this exact event, to find another one. And, and there were lots of similarities uh, that it was in each of the Gospels. And as we talked about that, uh, we thought, well, you know, that's incredible. Because what it says here is, as the Gospel is preached, this little incident here that you've sort of almost passed over and, and, and considered as, as not part of anything valuable, it, it is. It is valuable. It's part of the Gospel message. And one of the things that, that I found that all of you that came and, and spoke to me uh, was this topic of forgiveness, how important and valuable it is. And we've got to get our heads around it. We've got to come to terms with it. And uh, here, I just thought it was so appropriate that that's part of the gospel message. When the gospel message goes forth, what this woman has done and the, and the, the, the example that she's set will be there as part of that gospel message. So I just wanted to share that with you. 
So tonight we're looking at, uh, looking at prayer, and uh, there's two as we've looked at, the, the friend at midnight and the unjust judge. Um, so if we just go over to the, the one that was, uh, that was read for us uh, in, Matthew chapter, or sorry, in Luke chapter 11, that's where we'll begin. Now the fact that there's, there's two uh, parables given I think is, is, is going to be significant, that obviously uh, this, whatever, whatever Jesus is trying to get across to us in this uh, in these two parables, it must be significant. As we've said here, there must be a very important principle. Because I think the main concept is there. We're going to see that it's, it's, we shouldn't faint, that we should be persistent in our prayer, and that there's, um, there's a real um, motivation behind what's... And, and he repeats it twice uh, in, in different parables, but the same concept comes through. So whatever it is, we've got to try and figure it out, the most important point here. Um, and, and I think... If we looked at the two prayers, one is uh, a friend coming to another friend at midnight and asking for help. So if, if we would respond to the genuine need of a friend, even when it's inconvenient, we're going to look at this obviously in detail, the point I think that's being made is how much more will God respond to our needs? All right, I, I think that's, uh, that's, that's one point we can take away right from the beginning there. In the second one, it's an unjust judge, and, and it, it goes to great lengths to say this guy doesn't care about God, doesn't care about people. I mean, he's, he's, he's reprobate in so many ways. But even he, if he responds to persistent requests, if someone he doesn't even care for, how much more will God grant us our requests? You know, I think there's, there's, there's at least a, a couple of, of takeaways just, just from there, just that, that those are, are two, two points that are made. And, and what's the point for us? You know, it should real, give real impetus to our prayers. There should be, really, there should be a motivation uh, and confidence in our prayer. There should be something we can take away from this that, uh, that, we're being that are being encouraged about our prayers. Wherever our prayer life is at, um, wherever we want to take it to, there's, there's, uh, there's some real encouragement here from these two parables. Um, just, just keep something there in Luke chapter 11 and, and turn over to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is a passage that often comes to mind in the, in the context of prayer, and perhaps you've been challenged by this um, as I have. You know, basically, I think one thing we can, can learn from this is there's, there's never a time where prayer isn't the best option. It doesn't matter what circumstance we're in, uh, whether things are going well in our life, whether we're having struggles and challenges, uh, prayer is always the best option. Um, and, and we can see here in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, verse 17, there's a, a whole list of things. It starts in verse 16 with rejoicing evermore and so on. But verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, pray without ceasing. It's just, uh, just a one-liner one there, pray without ceasing. Yeah, and I've often wondered, you know, how, how's that practical? <laughs> I mean, if, if all we ever did was pray, I mean, where would we do all the other stuff that's in, in our lives? How, how can you pray without ceasing? And if you think of prayer as sort of, you know, the formal, maybe we have, you know, prayers before uh, meals, uh, prayers at bedtime, you know, prayers before readings. You know, if you're thinking of that sort of formal prayer, well, I mean, how can you pray without ceasing? So there's got to be more to it than that, and I think that's one of the things we're going to see as we look at these, these parables. It's really an, an attitude of prayer, a mindset of prayer. The, the, the communication with our Father is, is constant. I mean, when would you not want to be in, in, con, in contact with, with your God? Um, and I think we, we get a sense of that, especially with our modern technology, where sometimes we wish we could get out of contact from our, whatever the cell phone or mobile, mobile device is. Um, you know, we have to turn it off. But, but if it's with God, when would you want that connection to be broken? 
And I think that's what we've got here behind pray without ceasing, that attitude, that, that perspective on prayer that we're going to see in these, in these two parables. Um, to be persistent uh, in prayer, um, you know, to never give up. I think that's, that's what we're learning. So let's look, flip back to, to Luke 11 then, and um, we'll get into this, this, uh, this particular prayer here of uh, the friend coming at midnight. You know, it's interesting. We'd have to say in both of these parables, uh, whether it's, it's a, an appeal to a friend uh, that, that we need help from, or whether it's an appeal to the unjust judge, in both cases, obviously, the context is prayer, and we're praying to God. So just think about that for a moment. God has sort of contrasted himself with, with the friend who you go and you kind of knock on his door, and he's like, look, you know, I've got my kids in bed. Like, I, like I've got things all settled here. You know, you're hassling me. This is a bit of a, you know, this is not convenient, oh, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll help you. Or the unjust judge who doesn't care for God or for people, and he's like, oh, I just got to get rid of this woman. You know, I, I've got to answer, I've got I to grant her request. God's comparing himself to, to those to situations. And, and really the, the lesson is if, if, if that's how we would respond, us in our weakness and in our frailty, how much more will God? And, and so God is, is sort of in, in both of these parables likened to a, a friend um, who we've inconvenienced or an, an unbeliever who's, who's responding to a stranger. And I just thought it was, it was fascinating that God would sort of put himself in, in, uh, in that context. So here we are in, in Luke chapter 11. Just before we, we jumped in at verse 5, what's, what's the previous four verses? And of course, it's the Lord's Prayer. So that's the sort of the, the context before the parable, is the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we're going to come back to that in a moment. And we mentioned it this morning about uh, forgiveness. Forgive us uh, our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us or who are indebted to us. That's verse 4. The context after, and we did read this through to the end of verse 13, is about the interaction between a son and a father. So really that whole section there is on prayer, making requests, asking for, uh, for help. And, and I think that really sets up this, this parable then uh, that begins in verse 5. <clears throat> so it's really a story of three friends. So let's just read a part of it again, uh, starting at verse 5. He says, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto me, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Um, so really we've got these three individuals. The one who's making the request, I'm going to say the host here because he's, he's having this, this visitor and he seems somewhat unprepared. He's been taken off guard. There's this traveler who is also can be called a friend. He says, a friend of mine in his journey is come. So this traveling friend who's, who's passing through, and he's, he's there at midnight. And uh, then, of course, you have the one who, who seems to be a neighbor. He must be close, close at hand. And uh, he's, he's been inconvenienced by the, 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 uh, the, the other two. And uh, in verse 7, it says uh, that the, the response, at least probably what first came to mind from the third individual, was, you know, trouble me not. The, the door's shut. My children are uh, with me in bed. It was, would have been a small home. They all slept in the same room. So, you know, it's not like perhaps us now where we can sort of carry on our adult activities with the children off in the back room somewhere in their bedrooms. Here they would have all been in one room. And it's just very inconvenient for me to now, you know, get some light and rummage around and find things and, 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 and give them to you. It's like it's, I can't do it. Um, and that's his initial response. Whether he verbalized that or not, we're not sure. Um, but look at verse 8, and this is the commentary of, of Jesus, the, the, the narrator of the parable. 
I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now, uh, the, as, as the, the version that was read uh, for us, there, this word importunity, is we want to just take a, a quick look at it, um, it's, it's persistence in, in many of the other versions, and uh, that was what was read for us uh, tonight. So think about that. He's saying, you're not, he's not going to respond to you because you're your, your friend, although I'm, I'm sure he would as a friendship, but that's not the real reason. You know, he must have kept on knocking, and if he got sort of an initial, uh, you know, this is inconvenience, or go away, he just, he just kept on knocking. Look, I, I need this. I need help. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in, in a real difficult situation here. I need some help. And he, he would have kept on and on and on. And he says, that's really the reason that he finally re- uh, responded. Um, so this word, importunity, I had to check it out a little bit. And... and um, if you look at the, uh, the Greek, it's uh, literally without shamefacedness or not reverent. I mean, this wasn't, this wasn't sort of done politely. I mean, it was inconvenient in, in, in many, many ways. And to go and do this, you were, you were obviously in a pretty bad situation. You felt you had to do this, especially to a friend. Um, this must have been a case, as we've said here, of extreme need. You know, we wouldn't normally ask this of a friend. And uh, you might just want to make a note of this. We're not going to turn these up. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, it's the, it's the positive word um, that we are to have shame, shamefacedness. It's, it's speaking about um, in our character. We, we, should, you know, we should have a certain demeanor about us. And in Hebrews 12, verse 28 there, it's the word reverence. And this is the negative of that, importunity. It's like the opposite of that. Um, so it's, it's quite a strong word. And... Um, it got me thinking, okay, what, what is it about this, this parable? Is there, any, is there an echo or is there something um, that, that would, um, you know, what, what's going on here? What would, what would uh, cause a person to, uh, to respond this way so that they were persistent and, um, you know, really uh, a bit pushy? <laughs> you know, th- there, was, there was there to sort of put aside some things, that, some normal social uh, action and, and, uh, and go and, and ask this of their, of their friend. Now, there may be some echoes for you in this. It, what struck me was in verse 6, where it said, A friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. So I thought, okay, well, is there another parable, or is there another story, another incident, where it spoke of, of people in a, in a journey, or a person in a journey that, that came to another individual? And I'm going to suggest to you, just keep your finger there in Luke chapter 11, and come back to um, 2 Samuel chapter 12. And it's another parable that's told. And you may not have necessarily seen this connection, but I'm, I'm going to put to you that this is what the parable's about. And I think we'll see it when we get back to, to Luke. You know, quite often we, we forget to sort of make some connections that are right there. And maybe when we see a cross-reference or an echo, uh, then it starts to maybe the light comes on a little bit. You'll be familiar with, with the Second Samuel chapter 12. Uh, it's it's the, the chapter after the incident of David and Bathsheba. And uh, we've been doing a study on, uh, on that. We were here at the, the end of last year with David's friends and foes. And, and this was one of the, the key incidents that we looked at in the life of Uriah uh, and death of Uriah. And in, in, in uh, 2 Samuel 12, of course, Nathan comes to David. A long period of time has passed, and David has been in this sort of false position. He's been out of touch with God as uh, he kind of tried to ignore this and cover his own tracks. Um, So in verse 1, the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came unto him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. 
And the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought, brought, sorry, brought up and nourished, and it grew together uh, with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And, and I would suggest to you this is the man in the house. You know, he's got his children with him. Um, you know, there's, there's some similarities there. Look at verse 4. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come to him. And he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for, him, for the man that was come to him. There was this traveler. And uh, we made the, the suggestion when we were uh, with the, the young people in, in December that the traveler was sin. This, this wasn't normal for David. You know, the whole situation that he got himself caught up in wasn't his main focus. He was a man after God's own heart. But this, this, this traveler... This, this, this uh, sinful impulse sort of was, was coming, coming through. And, and I couldn't help but see a connection between that, the, the traveler in verse 4 of 2 Samuel 12, and this individual in verse 6 of Luke 11. A friend of mine in his journey, he's a traveler, and he's come to me. I would suggest to you then what the, the person in the parable is pleading for his friend for is help. He's, he's, he's kind of uh, in over his head. He's got himself into a circumstance. And it was just a traveler. What do we know about the traveler back in, in Luke chapter uh, 11? He came at midnight. We're going to go back to that in, in, in a few moments. But I w- at this point, I was just, this is, this is the darkness. We, we had a, a class today, didn't we, with Brother Jonathan about darkness versus light. And uh, darkness, midnight, is a time. In fact, if you just come to the New Testament, we'll, we're done in, in, in Samuel. You can let that one go. And come over to John chapter 3. And, and I think this helps us. It's, how's, how's it a friend? Well, unless you're very different than me, brethren and sisters, when we get ourselves into to challenging situations, well, there's, a, there's an attraction. Uh, you know, sin is, is uh, you know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We sometimes take it on board as a friend. And, and even when we are, are challenged by it and we know it's wrong, there's, there's a, a certain um, familiarity. And in John chapter 3, Jesus says quite clearly in uh, verse 19, this is condemnation, that light is come into the world. Let there be light. Jesus was there. Light was in the world. But look what he says. Men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. And so darkness is associated with, you know, we can't be seen. But here's an individual who's, who's found themselves, there's a traveler come into their life in the darkness, and they've gone to someone else to ask for help. And, and, uh, and in this case, it's relating to prayer. And they've come to God in prayer and said, I need some help. We'll talk about what that help might have been. Now, if you needed perhaps a bit more convincing about that, let's go back to Luke chapter 11 and look at the context. The context is the Lord's Prayer. And there's one line in there, and I know we all say it because we quite often use the Lord's Prayer as a a model prayer. Back home, our Sunday school, we we repeat the Lord's Prayer together as 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 a Sunday school at the close of every Sunday school. So we know these words. But in our own lives, in terms of a practical way, how how often do you implement this line of the prayer? It's in verse 4 of Luke 11. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
lead us not into temptation. That's what this prayer is about. I would suggest to you, brothers and sisters, oh, we find ourselves in difficult situations. We've, we've got ourselves in a compromising situation, perhaps. It's a bit dark in our life at times. And we go and we ask for help. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from this, from this evil. A friend of mine has come in journey, and I shouldn't, I, I shouldn't be associating with him. It's, it's midnight. Please help me. This parable is about the importance of persistence in prayer, especially when we're battling temptation and sin. And, and the point here is, is that it's going to take boldness. It's going to take, uh, sh- uh, n- to not be shame-faced, we have, to, we have to fess up. We have to confess that we're in a difficult situation, and we need to ask for help. Uh, this point is, is made in, in, uh, in Hebrews. Perhaps now your mind is, is, um, is uh, racing a little bit through various uh, passages. This one came to my mind. It's in Hebrews. There's two in Hebrews we want to look at. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, and uh, it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and our relationship to him. And I think it relates to the prayer here of the, uh, of the friend who goes to someone at midnight. And uh, verse 14, we're familiar with these passages. We have a high priest that's gone to heaven. We hold fast to our profession. Verse 15, he's not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. What's the, what's the practical implication of that? We see Jesus our, as our friend. And we go to God in prayer through Christ. And look at verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This was a time of need. It was a desperate time of need. This, this person was, was in, in a real difficult spot and he was looking for help. Similarly, back in chapter 2 of Hebrews, Uh, Just the last verse there, 18. For in that he, Jesus himself, has suffered being tempted, he's able to help those that are tempted. He's a friend who can help us in a time of need. Now your mind might have been thinking out something about something else when you thought about uh, someone coming at midnight. What other um, things might come to mind with with a call going forth at midnight? And you might be thinking of the parable of of the ten virgins. And the call goes forth at midnight. And what's that all, that's call about? Who's coming at midnight? Behold, the bridegroom comes. So here we've got a, really a juxtaposition of, of two things. There's that sin or that, that dark part in our life that we might be harboring, as it were, uh, in, in the darkness and at midnight. And we're, we're pleading for help. But Jesus also, brothers and sisters, is going to return at midnight. And the question really is, in what situation will we be in when he returns? Will we be having our associations with this traveling friend that's just, just passing through and, and taking us away from, uh, from the truth, from, from, from godly things? Uh, or will it be Christ that we're waiting for uh, in his return? And when he comes, will he be a friend or will he be uh, an adversary, if you will, because of, of where we're at? And back in Luke chapter 11, so there was a response from this one. And it says, he rose and gave him as much as he needed. Now, what did that man need at that point? He needed help. I would suggest he needed some companionship that was good. And, and we can think of that, of that at, many, at many different levels. Um, you know, it says he, he rose and gave him as much as he needed. You know, and God is, is there just waiting for us to ask. Matthew 6, 32. 
you know, all these things, the, the, you know, the food and the clothing and all those sort of material, natural things. Look, your Father, Heavenly Father, knows that you have need of those things. He's going to take care of you and so much more. And here we have, I would suggest to you, a spiritual dimension, someone who's, who's really struggling and who's in need, and, and uh, the response is given. Similar there in Luke 12 and 30, For after all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you have need of these things. What the individual needed in this parable, brothers and sisters, I would suggest, was the need to overcome sin. And it was given to him. Is there anything more important? And, and then the, the, the parable goes on, or the, the commentary on the parable in verse um, 11. You know, if your son asks for bread, are you going to give him a stone? If he asks for fish, are you going to give him a serpent? Uh, it's, it's, it's ridiculous to, it's almost put in this, in this extreme language. If he asks for an egg, are you going to give him a scorpion? Now look at verse 13, brothers and sisters, of Luke 11. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, and I think we all consider ourselves good parents and give our children good things, if we do that and we're evil, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And just as a little interestingly aside here, um, the definite article is not there, and it's I mean, whatever that verse might mean with respect to what we've been given, and we know we have God's word, his spirit word, I think the significance thing here is that he'll give us a spirit of holiness. In other words, we'll get through that trial, that difficulty, if we ask for it. Now, if that's what that parable is about, and I hadn't read it that way until until just recently, and it'd be interesting to hear your feedback on that, I think there's a nice segue into the other parable Uh, in in, uh, Luke chapter 18. And just flip over to Luke chapter 18 because this parable is about a woman. And what does she pray for? Deliverance from an adversary. And I would say that that connects them. Now, the one's called a friend and the one's called an adversary, but I would suggest to you the challenge is the same. You know, we might see our, you know, the nature that we bear and the, the, the lust that we have. Primarily, hopefully, we see them as an adversary. You know, your adversary is as a devil, uh, you know, a roaring lion uh, seeking to devour us. But sometimes we just get a little too cuddly with sin, don't we? We just we get a little bit too close. And although we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're quite happy to go there on our, on our own. Isn't that true? I don't know, maybe I'm only speaking, maybe it's only my experience. You know, we pray, lead us not into temptation. And we believe God won't tempt us above what we're able to bear. But oh, we want to get close, don't we? How far can I go before I, you know, I trip up? And we get too close to it. And so this, these prayers are about deliverance from that. And if we pray it persistently, not only will God respond and give us that spirit of holiness through his word, his spirit word, but hopefully we're reminding ourselves, look, that's something we want to distance ourselves from. So here in, in Luke 18, just look, we'll come back to it in a minute, but uh, the, the, the prayer in verse 3 is to avenge me of mine adversary. You know, and we are our own worst enemies, are we not? We are the problem, our, our nature that we bear. And we need help. We need divine help to win this battle. We're not going to do it on our own. And uh, I think that's, that's the, the, the thing about uh, this, this prayer that's being offered here. Just in case we needed reminding of this, we'll come back to Luke 18 in a minute. Keep a finger there. But let's just go over to Romans chapter 7. Do we need reminding, brothers and sisters, that our struggle is a spiritual one? You know, we may have other challenges. I'm not denying that. We may have issues in our life, physical ones, maybe they're, you know, literal physical problems, maybe there's challenges with materialism, but, but it's, it's a spiritual battle. 
And uh, we could read lots in, Ro in Romans 7 here. You're familiar with the, you know, the section there about uh, the good that I would, that I don't do, and what I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. But, but here, let's just sort of um, get to the, the real conclusion of the matter here in, to show that this is a spiritual battle we're in. This is our adversary, that sometimes we consider a friend in darkness at midnight. Verse 21, the Spirit writing through Paul says, I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. It's there all the time. And sometimes I, I just get a little too comfortable with it and consider it a friend. Other time I see it as the evil that it is, but it's there with me. It says, he says, for I delight in the law of God after the inward men, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. That's the adversary. It's a war. It's a battle. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That's the cry. That's the prayer. Who's going to deliver me? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's where we're going to get deliverance from. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Who shall deliver me? And that's what these prayers are about. Who are we going to go to? Who are we going to cry out to help for? Persistently. Not just a one-off prayer. Not just a casual prayer. Not just kind of like, you know, when I think about it. It's a constant prayer. How, do I, how am I going to overcome? How am I going to win this battle? Not on my own. Not by the arm of the flesh. Because the flesh is weak. And so we need help. So we ask ourselves, do we ask for God's help when temptation or trial is near? And you know, the theme for the whole week is lift up our heads, right? Where does your help come from, brothers and sisters? We have to lift up our heads, lift up our eyes to our Father to pray for help, especially in times of, of need. Do we persistently ask for that kind of help? So let's go to, to uh, Luke 18 then and this, this parable. And I see a connection then between these two parables. Now, the nice thing about Luke um, 18 is we have even more uh, assurance as to the reason for the parable. Uh, in in the, the previous chapter we were looking at, in, in uh, Luke chapter 11, we had the context of prayer from the Lord's Prayer and then those verses about uh, the son asking his father for things. But here it's very clear in verse 1 of um, uh, of uh, Luke chapter 18 here, and it's quite often called the, the unjust judge, although I would suggest to you it could also be called the persistent widow. But it said here in, in verse 1, he spake a parable unto them to this end. This was the purpose of his, of his parable that he spoke, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. To pray without ceasing. And again, this has always been a challenge to me. I mean, how, how do you do that? And not faint. I mean, Jesus would spend an, a whole night in prayer. We read that in the Gospels on several occasions. And, and, and if you're like me, you're like, how, how did you do that? I mean, after five or ten minutes, I'd be asleep. You know, especially late into the night. All right? And what did he say to his, his disciples in, in, in the garden? You know, watch and pray with me that you enter not into temptation. That's what the prayer was about. And he would come back and he would find them sleeping. Without a shadow of a doubt, I would be with those disciples fast asleep. I couldn't do it. And of course, the interesting thing is, you know, what transpired in the next few hours? Did, it, did, a, did a, a temptation come? Did a trial come? Absolutely. Was Jesus successful? 
Absolutely. He watched and prayed. What about the disciples? They all forsook him and fled, every single one of them. So the connection between asking for help and prayer, persistent prayer, continual prayer, is borne out in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He goes on then, and here's the parable. Verse 2 of Luke 18. There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. So there's a parable. There's two individuals involved. And uh, to make the point about this individual, this unjust judge, look at verse 4. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, no regard, nor regard man. So this, this guy, the reason he's going to grant this request has nothing to do with any kind of goodness in himself. He doesn't believe in God, doesn't care about God, and could care less about this woman who just, just wants to get rid of her. All right? Like, look at verse 5. Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. That's how persistent she was. It was like day after day. She just wouldn't give up. Now, there's, there's, there's so many lessons we could take from this. It's trying to hard to keep them all in your head at once. But, but think about this, this widow and put yourself in her place. There's an adversary, and you need deliverance from it. You can't do it on your own. You understand that this judge is the only one who can kind of help you out. So you're, you're just on him day after day after day. Avenge me of my adversary, and he's just brushing you off. And you come back, and you keep asking and asking. And finally, he, he relents, and he, and he says, okay, look, deal with her. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of that. And then think about God. You know, is there any, I mean, would God have any kind of reaction as that unjust judge? Absolutely not. And yet, if we don't get an answer right away, we're kind of like, oh, well. You know, do we, we, do we pray for something once, and then figure that's enough? That's not the lesson we have from this parable here. So let's just have a look at some of the details here. The judge did not fear God nor regard people. The widow needed avenging from an adversary. The judge ignored her for a while. He finally, he acted just so that he could get rid of her continual requesting. This is persistence. And in the other parable, it was the importunity or the persistence um, of the one friend to the other. Here, it's a widow that's coming uh, day after day after day. Now, I try to think of an example of this. And it was in our readings, you know, it's, it's interesting, isn't it true? Do you find this when you're, you've got something in your mind? It doesn't matter what the daily readings are, somehow things connect. And we were working through Mark. This goes back uh, a little while anyway. And uh, let's go back to Mark chapter 10. <clears throat> and uh, I was thinking about this, uh, this parable and, and examples of it. It would have been uh, on February the 14th when we were doing this reading. Mark chapter 10. And uh, there's this incident here um, of blind Bartimaeus. Uh, Jesus, verse 46, is coming to Jericho, and there's a great number of people with him. And blind Bartimaeus is there in verse 46, sitting by the highway side, begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Here was an individual who had need. (laughs) He was blind. And he wanted healing, and he'd heard about Jesus. And he heard that Jesus was passing by. So he calls out to him. And there's a great number of people, 
and, and Bartimaeus climb, uh, cries out. Now look at verse 48. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. Like, ah, you know, quiet, you know. This man has so much, there's all kinds of people, I'm sure he's got lots of things to do, would you just be quiet? And he, he, does, he does he stop? Look at this. But he cried out, uh, the more, a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. What was his motivation? He wanted to be cured of his blindness. And he wasn't going to let anyone stop him. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And then all of these people around him um, changed their tune. <laughs> he said, be of good comfort, rise, he calls for thee. And he cast away his garment, rose, and came to Jesus. So that's the first part, persistence. Do you have a need? especially with respect to perhaps a trial or a challenge in your life? Keep praying. Keep praying about it. Keep asking. Keep requesting. You know, be persistent in your prayer. And then, look at this. He, he comes to Jesus, and Jesus answered and said unto him, verse 51, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? <laughs> do you find that odd? You have this blind man coming, and Jesus says, um, so, what, what did you want today? And look, at he just, he just there, there's no, um, you know, I can imagine we would maybe a little bit be sarcastic, like, what do you think I want? I'm blind, all right? Or, you know, so how are we going to respond when perhaps doors start to open or, you know, somehow our prayer is being, be, being answered? Look, he just says, Lord, that I might receive my sight. I mean, that's how, that's how God wants us to, to talk to him, to be specific in our prayers. Even when it seems obvious, he wants to hear it. And look at Jesus says, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Isn't that amazing? It's just a, a wonderful little, it's almost like a living parable there um, that, that relates to what we've got here. We have to ask God for what we, we want, even when we consider it obvious. And, and not, not generally, he wants us to be persistent. He wants us to be specific. Tell him our needs. Tell him our troubles, and he will respond. Now, just going back to, uh, well, thinking back to the, the parable that Jesus said was uh, we were to always to pray and not to faint. Just a couple of passages on that kind of theme of, of not fainting. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. There's no, re- need, there's no need to faint. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, later on in that same chapter. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And, and this one thing that prayer can do. Jesus isn't saying, look, I, I'm going I'm to test you. Keep praying and, and see what, how much endurance you have. The very act of prayer is to help us not to faint, to keep, give us perspective, to keep us you know, in, in, in communication with our God that we might not faint. Now, outwardly, yes, we may be growing. It may be a trial we're going through. It may be, you know, there may be a physical um, demand. There may be whatever our, our challenge is. And we all have challenges, brothers and sisters. Yours is different than mine. But the act of prayer is so that we don't faint. It's almost counterintuitive. We'd be like the disciples, fast asleep after just a few minutes. But that's not how it should be. Our prayer and our, our, our interaction with God through his word is so that we don't faint. That's, that's the reason for it. I think there's one more here. Ephesians 3, verse 13. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. 
So that was one of the reasons for the, uh, the, the Jesus gave uh, this, this parable, that men all, meant always to pray and not to faint. Now, just back in Luke chapter 18, remember the, the, the question or the, 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 um, the request of this widow was, avenge me of mine adversary. And this unjust judge said, well, just look, I, I got to get rid of this woman. I, I can't, I can't her, her crying is wearying me. You know, go and take care of it. Um, now look at verse uh, 6. The Lord says, hear what the unjust judge says. So listen to what he said. And he's an unjust judge. That he's going to um, avenge this widow. And then look at verse 7. Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. All right, so we need to talk a little bit about vengeance. Romans 12, verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. This widow was doing the right thing by going to this, this judge and saying, avenge me of my adversary. She couldn't deal with it on her own. Just like the earlier parable where there's a friend who, who had this other friend that came at midnight and he felt himself unable to handle it. And so he went to someone else for help. That's, that's the attitude we have to have. To, to have. Now, notice here, it, it said in verse um, 7, he will avenge them, though he bear long with them. Brothers and sisters, that's the challenge. You know, we think we live in an instant world, right? We were talking to young people this afternoon. It's very difficult for, for us in this age to, to develop patience. You want something, you can get it now, right? Whether it's you know, Googling something on the internet, throwing something in a microwave and heating up instantly, whatever the case might be. You know, you get it now, you can pay for it later. That's the society we live in. So we think, well, I've, I've, I've made my request to God, I've asked for help, so, like, where is it? Right? And, like, I've been putting up with this for, like, a day now, you know? And, and we don't understand that God will deliver us. He will. He wants what's right for us. But a couple of things, he wants us to develop some character through this. That's going to mean some, some, some Bible study, some prayer, consistently, continually, persistently. But he will deliver us at the right time. See, that's the point. God's timing is always perfect. Always perfect. He never makes a mistake. It's us that are impatient. And I guess we need to just ask ourselves, do we give God enough time to work? Do we allow him to work? Or do we pray and then try and work it out our own way and then wonder why we fall on our face? We need to leave room for God to work. And sometimes that, that means some challenging, difficult times. And, and we can't really see maybe a way through it. But we have to have confidence and faith that God will respond. God is patient with us. How patient are we with God? How, how much time are we willing to give God to work? How patient are we with each other? You know, whether that the other is, uh, you know, a spouse, a brother or sister in the meeting, our children, you know, whatever the situation might be, how patient are we with each other? How much time are we willing to work with someone to work things through and to work things out? This, this parable here concludes, and we stopped partway through verse 8. So verse 8 again, I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. When, the, when, the, when the, 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 um, deliverance comes, it will be speedily. And if you've had this experience to me, maybe something's dragged on for a year or two, but when it's over, it's like, wow. That, it, it's just like that. The, this, the, the solution is there. 
That's what it means. Just like when, you know, Jesus says, I come quickly. You know, it's, it's going to happen. And when it happens, it's, it's going to happen. But there may be a long period of time. But he will avenge them. Nevertheless, and, and I've been challenged by the end of this verse in lots of ways. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? You know, God's purpose will be worked out in each one of our individual lives and with us collective as a community, as, as a body of Christ. God's purpose will be worked out. But it's going to be on, it's going to be on God's timeline, not ours. And the question is, are, are we going to have enough patience to wait for that? Now, I would suggest to you, just to challenge you a little bit more and, and uh, hopefully provoke a little bit more discussion and thought, I would suggest to you this phrase, shall he find faith on the earth, is perhaps one of the most misquoted verses. I've heard this used in all kinds of contexts, just kind of clipped out of there. Will God find faith on the earth? Without reference to this parable, it's got to make reference to this parable. What faith? What's he talking about? What's the connection to will will Christ find faith on the earth when he returns? Got to do with this parable of 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 a widow going to an unjust judge. What's the connection? This kind of faith, the kind of faith that's, that's demonstrated by this widow, that's, that's got to be the context. Is that the kind of persistence that we have in our prayers? Pleading to God and asking for God for help. Faith, brothers and sisters, is not some, it's not talking about a system of religion. You know, will there be any Christadelphians left because we have the right system of religion and not like all those other religions out there. It's not talking about that. Uh, faith in this context is not some sort of, you know, specific list of, of important doctrines. That's not what faith is in this, in this, uh, in this, it, it, I don't see anything here about, about, you know, lists of, of, uh, of first principles. It's talking about the kind of faith that, that is persistent and continual. And what's it about? It's about asking for deliverance from our adversary. Jesus is saying, are my people going to become so complacent and so caught up in this world that they don't bother asking for help anymore. They don't, they don't see a need for help. They've, they've reconciled themselves to the adversary. And they, they don't think they need my help anymore. That's got to be what it's talking about. And I think that's consistent with what we see elsewhere in Scripture. Sorry, I missed this one here. Uh, he will bear along with them. And we mentioned that. That the Lord's not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to us and will grant us, you know, time to repent shall he find faith will he find the kind of faith that is still seeking his help in times of need have we become too self-reliant or too self-sufficient or perhaps too blind to the fact that we need to ask for help and do we really see the need that we have that that our adversary is oppressing us that this friend who's traveling through at midnight really isn't a friend and we need help to overcome that, that trial. When was the last time you had a desperate need that you could not fulfill yourself and had to throw yourself completely into the hands of God? And if you've had that experience recently, did you throw yourself into the hands of God? There's a time, I guess, when we need to, to let go and know that God will catch us. We can't solve this problem on our own. Whatever it might be, whatever difficult situation we're we're working through that's the kind of faith that is question here will that kind of faith be existent when christ returns or will perhaps have uh have thought that we could solve all our problems ourselves 
You know, it's unfortunate. If you think you can solve the problem yourself, then you don't need God's help. And if you don't think you need God's help, then you're going to fail. And especially in our struggle with sin. So let's just, uh, just wrap it up with uh, a couple of lessons. As a persistent prayer giver, as the one who's offering the prayer, brothers and sisters, we need to be persistent in that. Think of the, the friend the, the, in his importunity or his persistence. Think of, of, of the widow who always prayed and didn't faint and never gave up. We can be encouraged. We have the boldness, the, the encouragement to go to God through Christ. And he will respond to our plea to be delivered from evil and to be led from temptation. Lead us not into temptation. That's got to mean something in our life. And it has to be a persistent prayer. And, and just to think on the other side, a practical level. If we happen to be in the role of one who's being asked for help. See, because quite often the answer to our prayer comes from, from others in our midst, doesn't it? I mean, God doesn't just sort of, um, you know, there's no sort of, uh, uh, like he waves a magic wand and solves the problem. It's, it's through the, the, the interaction of others that God often solves the problem. So we may be the one who's being asked. Someone might come to help us for help in, in confidence. You know, are we content to just Stay in our own little world, as it were. You know, all, the kids are tucked in. Everything's peace. I got my act together here. I don't really want to be bothered with you. Or the unjust ju- judge, like, just get away from here. I just don't even, is, is that our attitude? Are we like that? Or are we willing to give real help to our brothers and sisters, especially in the battle with the enemy? Sure, there will be times when we can give physical, you know, we talked to the, the young people this afternoon about the Good Samaritan. And sometimes it'll just be as simple as that, helping someone in physical need financially, materially, whatever it might be, but how much more in a spiritual way? You know, we're all struggling. We've all got issues. We've got to talk to each other. We've got to confess our faults one to another so we can help each other, so we can pray for each other and, uh, and, and be true friends uh, like, like God is to us. And we can have this confidence, brothers and sisters, that God will always respond to genuine need. All we need to do is ask. Thank you.